I'll read the first 12 verses. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil. For labouring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's again pray to the Lord. Father, guide us now by your spirit working among us, that we might understand and embrace the blessings, the comforts, the encouragements and the directions of your holy word. Lord, may we not resist it, resent it, neglect it, turn away from it, but rather receive and embrace what you yourself have spoken. Help your servant to bring that to bear in righteous ways. Grant that we may hear it out of a righteous cause. Lord, lead us for your glory's sake in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been considering this portion of God's word as a model of pastoral faithfulness. We've been doing so for a number of reasons. I won't rehearse them at great length, but some of them, more important, are that there is a publicly stated standard not only that you might know what it is that I seek to be and to do, but so that you might properly expect it, desire it, embrace it, and pray for it. It's good for us to know what God has said concerning the care of his church and the expectations of true ministerial faithfulness, not least because the world is full of those who would... Uh, use the, the, the religion of Christ even as a cover for their own uncleanness and error. And that's what Paul began by saying was no part of his ministry. There were those in Thessalonica who had tried to undermine the ministry of the gospel by under, undermining the ministers of the gospel, 
by driving a wedge between Paul and Silas and Timothy and the people to whom they had ministered, casting aspersions upon both their motives and their actions. And Paul, with a clear conscience, without boasting, without bombastic uh, attitude, has said, you know, just as God knows, what kind of people we were among you, how we conducted ourselves, that there was no guile, that there was no deceit, that there was no uncleanness, that there was a rather uh, no, no covetousness, but rather a, a humility, a sincerity, an integrity, and a purity that we sought to be to you what Christ is to his whole church, that our words and our deeds both gave you reason to trust that what we spoke to you was indeed the word of God. They've already made clear, and we've already seen something, of how they embraced the cost of such faithfulness. They were willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of God and his saints. Beaten and battered at Philippi, spitefully treated, when they arrived in Thessalonica, they in no way watered down their message or changed their basic approach. And Paul wants them now to understand how that sacrificial service works out in accordance with two particular metaphors. So here's Paul, the preacher and the teacher, saying that with regard to our pastoral care of you, we were like two things. We were like mothers toward you and we were like fathers toward you. Now, what is the danger when in the Bible we read that the elders of the church or the ministers of the gospel were like mothers and were like fathers? Well, one of the primary dangers is that we will think in terms of our experience and project that perhaps unhealthily onto the ministers of the gospel. We need actually to start with God's definitions and work down to us rather than to begin with our experience and then to project it up onto God and his servants. Now, many of you may have had delightful Christian mothers of whom you could say, I think I have at least some glimpse of what true motherhood is like, so that when Paul says, we were gentle among you in verse 7, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, you'll say, right, I think I've got at least some idea of what the apostle is talking about. But some of you will not. And the best mothers in this world are far from perfect mothers. Some mothers are negligent. They do not care very much for their children. They are not present. They are not involved. They are not engaged. And if we were to say that Paul was like my mother or a mother who is negligent, then we will have missed our mark. Some mothers are indulgent. They never say no to their children. They're what sometimes called, either in uh, law or in education, enablers. You know what an, an enabler is? It's, it's basically someone who 
gives opportunity, who enables somebody to do what they want and as they please. If I think historically of the great enabling mother, I would say probably Stalin's mum. I know you might think, really? You, I didn't meet her, thankfully. But Stalin growing up was an indulged boy. Mum never said no. He was her special little boy. He was always right. He got what he wanted. And all the people who spotted early on the fruits of that kind of indulgence, they were the bad people who wouldn't let him do what he should do because he was better than the others. And those horrible people out there don't understand how special you are. What was the fruit of that kind of indulgence? A monster. Some mothers are strident. They're harsh. They're hard. They're cutting. They are critical. Paul would want us to say that actually we should more take our model of motherhood from the way he cared for the Thessalonians than we should from the negligent or indulgent or strident models that we will see around us or to which we ourselves may have been subject. You see, the danger is that we will either overreact to those errors and excesses or perhaps thoughtlessly go in that track. Most of us almost instinctively will slide into the groove that has been formed by our experience. That's true even when we may look at that experience and say, I would not want anyone to be mothered in that way. Now, my friends, by the grace of God, if you are a mother, or if you hope to be a mother, you are not trapped by your history. You are not obliged to reproduce the sins of your mother or your father in your own parenting. And if you look back and say, I wish I had known some of these things earlier, then there is forgiveness with God and there is scope for restoration because of the grace of God toward us. But if we have had negligent mothers, we are not obliged to be negligent ourselves, though we may need to be aware that when we just get weary, the, the, the route down which we're likely to go could be that of negligence or indulgence. It's just easier to do it that way, and that's what we ourselves have known. Or that strident and harsh speech where we cut and slash. The other danger, of course, is not just that that's where we slide, but that we, we say, well, if my mother was negligent... I will always be there. And we become stifling. Or if my mother was indulgent, I'll not be an indulgent mother. My child is never going to be indulged. And you could become harsh and cruel. Or if mum was strident, if she was angry and, and cutting, you say, well, the opposite of that must be good. And that is not true. The opposite of a sin is usually an other sin. What we need to do is to see a model of motherhood as God defines it. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that without for one moment diminishing the fatherhood of God, God is not ashamed to describe himself as mothering his children because of the tenderness and the kindness and the love that he shows toward them. 
And Paul, without in any way compromising his holy masculinity, is utterly unembarrassed to say that Paul, Silas and Timothy were just like mothers. That's encouraging, isn't it? If you are or will be a mother, that Paul, Silas and Timothy looked at real mothering and said, we were like that. That was one of our models or demonstrations. There's no tension then between the maternal and the paternal affection that Paul and Silas and Timothy demonstrated toward the Thessalonians. And we then should not, especially as pastors, refuse or confuse that maternal image. In other words, we can't afford to get this wrong. We have to be what mothers should be, not what mothers sometimes are. And therefore, it is good for mothers to be able to say, well, we know what mothering should be, and we can learn to do that in a way that communicates effectively something of the goodness and the gentleness and the kindness of God. That should be the flavour of our living and serving. So in verses 1 to 6 primarily, Paul has been dealing more with the negative of this ministerial approach. The brow-beating, self-seeking, entitled parody of a true minister. And now he comes toward the positive. But, verse 7, he says, I've painted the ugly portrait of the way that we've been accused of being and the way, in fact, that many who call themselves ministers of the gospel were in these days and still are in our days. And you may have seen, some of you, that experience. You've been through that. You've had men who have been meant to be shepherds of your souls, who have been more like the ones that Paul describes here as marked by error and uncleanness and deceit and covetousness. Now, when Paul says we were not like that, where does he reach first of all? But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. The positive image that Paul begins to set forth here is that of gentleness. Now you'll find him saying something very similar to his young son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. Now if you begin in chapter 2 and verse 1, you'll find that Paul is not encouraging softness, sentimentality, weakness, carelessness, certainly not negligence or indulgence. He begins by saying, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Commit what you've received to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to fight like a warrior. You're going to have to work like a farmer. You're going to have to compete like an athlete. This is all vigorous, it's dynamic, 
This is strength in action. And what is that going to look like, Timothy? How are you going to exercise that vigorous strength that I'm praying for and exhorting you to pursue? Notice verse 24. Actually, go back to verse 22. Let's put it in context even here. Flee also youthful lusts. When you're being strong and vigorous, Timothy, it's not for the indulgence of your masculine appetites, but rather pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate, generate strife. The man who's always got a fight in how you... You said I was going to be a warrior. Well, I'm going to be a warrior for Jesus. And the problem is there's a load of people out there who are always wrong. You may have seen a little cartoon. It gets flipped up on social media again and again and again. There's a man hunched over a keyboard. His wife is calling him, sweetheart, it, it, isn't it time for you to go to bed? And he, he taps away. She calls him again. He says, but there's somebody on the internet who is wrong. You seen that one? There are people who are living like that. And there are men who would call themselves shepherds who are simply fight pickers and fight sustainers. And not just on the internet, but even among God's people. Now notice verse 24 and 25. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I am increasingly persuaded that gentleness is an overlooked ministerial virtue in these days. One of our challenges, brothers and sisters, is that we live in a feminized society where true masculinity tends to be assaulted, undermined and dismissed. What is the danger there? Either that men will become womanish, which would be fine if they were women, but they're not, or that there will be a reaction to that, and I sincerely believe that this may be one of the great dangers in the Christian church, that in reacting to the feminization of society and the church, a caricature of masculinity is being presented, which is just as dangerous as the absence of true masculinity. And the man of God ought to be a gentle man. Not soft, not sentimental, not weak and feeble, for true gentleness is strength exercised in tenderness. If you're weak, you can't pick up your baby. If you're strong, you can throw your baby around. If you're gentle, you can pick up your child and cradle them in arms that will defend, uphold and protect them. Paul says to Timothy directly, Timothy, you are not just to be a gentleman in the sense of you know, polite and well-mannered. You are to be gentle. That strength that you have is to be exercised in a certain way. It's important then 
for you who are mothers to remember that you need strength. You need that kind of calibre. You're not called to weakness and softness and feebleness. The strength of a mother is a distinct, unusual strength. I think, in fact, most of us who've had godly mothers would say that they were strong women. Not bolshy, not arrogant, not strident, not domineering. But at their best, there was a proper feminine strength in them. And Paul is not ashamed here to the Thessalonians to say that when we ministered to you, you saw in us something of true maternal love. So much so that I think Paul would say, if you want to know what mothering's like, you could look at the way that Paul ministers and say it's something like that. What then is at the heart of maternal love? What is it to which Paul draws attention here to set up a marker of true mothering? And I would summarise it as sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Again, watch the challenge. What happens when you are ready to give to those who only are willing to take? What might your reaction be? Well, I'm going to get taken advantage of. I'm going to get trampled on. If I'm ready to serve, no one else wants to serve, then I'll be the one who's always giving, always pouring out, always granting to others. Some of you will know an outstanding little book, um, title just gone, uh, Walter Chantry, The Shadow of the Cross. Excellent little book, calling God's people to a life of uh, self-sacrifice. I remember the first time I read that book and the impact it had on me. Do you know what one of the things was I did? I say this to my shame. I bought a bunch of other copies and gave them to other people. Because I thought, I don't think it was quite this clear cut, but I, I remember at once, boy, oh boy, we need to do this together, otherwise I might be in trouble. Because if you are the self-denier and no one else cares, then selfishness says... I'm the one who's going to end up giving and everyone else will end up getting. My friends, a true mother is a giver. She is an investor. She is marked by sacrificial love. People might view her strength of love and consider it weakness. But it is true strength and the same would be true in the ministry. That the one who truly serves might be assumed to be a soft touch, indulgent and sentimental. And that would be, as we shall see, to miss the mark altogether. Notice then in verse 7, and we'll only be able to begin unpacking this maternal love this morning, what Paul says, that we were gentle among you, and here's the example, here's the metaphor, here's the model, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now, we have a nursery. And I imagine, I hope, that many of you are signing up to work in it. But nursery workers aren't necessarily the mothers of their own children, are they? Uh, have you ever been, some of you, on a, on a school trip? You ever had the opportunity to go on a school trip and, and you've had your own child in the group? 
they, they all go into a maze. And they're all meant to run to the middle of the maze. Now, of the six children under your care who go in, how many do you count that come out? Six. Okay, because you're responsible for the six. Who are you looking for to come out? Who do you not want to get lost in there? Your kid. You know you've got a responsibility for them all. You'll care for all the children in the nursery. But if you're a true mother, you are going to have a particular regard for your own children. It's natural affection. It doesn't mean if there's a problem, you'll abandon the rest and run out with your own kids. But there will be an instinct. If you're a mother, can you hear your own child cry? Yeah, you might sometimes get it wrong, but if you're milling around outside here, some of you will be there and, and always like a dog. Hang on, hang on. That one's mine. How can you tell when there's so much noise going around? Because my ear is tuned to the cry of my particular child. And Paul says, not just we were like a generic mother who happens to like babies, but we were like a nursing mother cherishing her very own children. They were at our breast. We were feeding them of our own substance. We were not mere childcare providers. That would be the, the equivalent of the hireling in John chapter 10. We're just looking after them because someone pays us to do it. We've got to do it because we're on the rota. No, Paul says, there was a personal affection that we had toward you. We were true mothers. We were nourishing you with protective care and with tender love. I should point out that I am not making any particular comment at this point about whether or not breast is best. For Paul, that's the model. That's the example. A nursing mother of children. What I want to emphasize here is that Paul's pastoral care was by no means merely professional. It was personal. This was not a job to him. This was a calling to him. These people weren't the ones he had to look after. They were the ones for whose good he longed from the depth of his being. This was not the mother who puts the baby in the corner while she gets on with something that is more important. This is a mother who is aware of her child, who has an affection that works out in investment. And you will have seen, even in today's world, those who've actually got the wit to understand, you see, the, you know, the baby's over here somewhere and the mum's over here. There's no eye contact. There's no engagement. There's no investment. The baby becomes an intrusion. Mothers for whom a child is an unwanted interruption on their otherwise seamless career path. Paul says, not us. We were like nursing mothers of children among you. Might I even urge those of you some of you who are younger and may be thinking, perhaps in due course, the Lord will make me a mother. That is a high and holy privilege. The world today will sneer at motherhood. And it will have you, young women in particular, set out a plan for your life 
which has no assumption or expectation of marriage and children. May I urge you to consider and embrace, embrace God's plan and purpose. To desire, if the Lord wills, that he will make you a wife and a mother in his good time. And to consider that not as a diversion, not as a distraction, not as an intrusion, but as a privilege that you are granted to serve him in your generation. This then is Paul's disposition. We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And there are three distinct ways then that this works out. And we'll consider just the first of them this morning. There is concern, there is generosity, and there is sacrifice. They're all there in verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, for you had become dear to us. That's what Paul thinks it looks like to be like a nursing mother cherishing her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. That first phrase speaks of maternal concern, affectionately longing for you. That's what a true mother is toward her children. She is affectionately longing for for them it is the language of profound attachment and personal interest it is the desire and the determination to bless one's children to be well pleased to do this we were well pleased is the language of a deliberate commitment we were taken up with the desire to do you good. And to do you good, not in accordance with some carnal assessment or standard, but to do you the best of all possible goods. Now this is important for Paul in the context because Paul had been accused of wanting to take advantage of the Thessalonians. The false teachers had come and said, Paul wants you. Paul wants to have some kind of influence over you. Paul wants a grip upon you. That man has an appetite for you. And Paul would say, they have no idea. They're absolutely right. But it's not that I want you for myself. It's not that I want to take advantage of you. It's not that I want to strip you down. It's not that I want what you can give me. I want you for the best of reasons. I have an affectionate longing for you. Everything that I do is done with a view to securing your best and highest good. And I have to ask, is that the way that I think about the work that the Lord has given me to do and the people whom God has put under my care? And you need to ask, perhaps on the one hand, do we understand that that is what he is trying to be? 
and on the other, that is what under God we should expect. That you have been given pastors and preachers. And these are the kinds of men for whom we are praying when we're asking that the Lord would give gifts to his church who are marked by an affectionate longing for God's people. Who are taken up with doing you all possible good by the highest and purest of standards. Now do you see why we're not talking about sentimentality? Now do you understand why we're not talking about indulgence? Because there will be plenty of us, well, we just need to make sure our children are happy. A true mother, a Christian mother, would want her children, first of all, to be holy and to find their true happiness in holiness. Am I? Am I cultivating, and perhaps more importantly for your sakes, do I communicate a deep desire for your good? That's the question I have to ask myself. Do you know, Paul could say this of the church in Thessalonica, he said, this is obvious to you. My friends, do you know and plead with God on my behalf, please, that it might be yet more evident. Not that I am an indulgent pastor, not that I am a, a negligent pastor, certainly not that I am a strident pastor, but that I am marked in my dealings toward you by the kind of concern that will demonstrate to you, both by my words and my deeds, that I know what is best for you, not because I'm cleverer, but because I've been called to bring the word of God to bear upon your souls. That's what you are entitled to from a minister of the gospel. A gentleness that works itself out in a concern for your present and eternal well-being as a mark of what? Christ-like sacrificial love. That's what Paul comes back to. Why were you so concerned, Paul? Why were you generous? Why did you lay down even your own lives? Because you had become dear to us. A mother, at their best, will say what? That there is no labour and there is no sacrifice too great for us on behalf of our children. And that's something that you see in mothers at their best. Now, what kind of love should animate a pastor toward the people? It is the love of God for his saints. We are beloved for Christ's sake. And it is that which holds us together and binds us together. My friends, that's not something that I do and that you don't. It's something that we all should do and that I must be. What is your regard for those over whom you have any kind of spiritual influence? Can we say that as a church we're marked by gentleness? 
Remember, not by softness, not by sentimentality, not by indulgence, that we're not simply pandering to whims and wishes. My friends, there's no love in being a new Mrs. Stalin. There's no love in never saying no. There's no love in making excuses for the sins of your children. Some of you will perhaps know, I'm not saying everybody should watch this, but I, a friend of mine who'd discussed this with me said, have you seen, uh, I think his surname is Hawkins, Tim Hawkins? He's a, he's a, he's a comedian who happens to be a Christian. And he, he does this, this sketch where he talks about uh, mothers indulging their children in the church. And the child is running around and, you know, they, so uh, the, the nursery worker comes out and says, I'm afraid little Tommy has stabbed another child in the head with a pair of scissors. And the mother goes, oh, it, it must be his allergies. He's so tired right now. Uh, he's probably eating the wrong food. No, your kid just stabbed someone else with scissors. He may be tired. He may have eaten the wrong thing. He may have allergies. But you have to deal with the sin. There is no real love in indulging sin. You may understand why it's happened. You may understand how it's happened. You may have an explanation as to how that sin was brought about. But the sin, though it can be explained, cannot be excused. Mothers... Do not indulge the sins of your children. And do not expect pastors to indulge the sins of God's children. That is not pastoral affection. The church of Jesus Christ needs men who can mother. If that seems like a contradiction to you, then just read over 1 Thessalonians 2 a couple of times. Because Paul says, without shame or embarrassment... That in our dealings towards the people of God, we were marked by the kind of love that rises to its highest expression in a godly mother. A sacrificial love that is manifested in true concern, sweet generosity and true sacrifice because the people are dear to them. My friends, this is what we then need to understand about mothering so that not only can we be mothers ourselves, but so that, at least with regard to the pastoral ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ, we might know what we can expect, what we can receive, and what we should, in the best sense, demand. My friends, I hope there is a sweet encouragement to you in this. That if God helps me to be the man that I should be, and if God adds to us other men who are seeking to be what Christ has called them to be, that you will be mothered in the best, highest, holiest, and happiest fashion. God willing, next week we'll come on to consider again what this looks like. But I want you, as men and as women, to remember this that there is one great pattern of sacrificial love in the scriptures and it does not lie in a human mother's heart 
It lies in the life and death of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. That is what sacrificial love looks like. There can be no higher aspiration for any woman of God than to be more like Jesus Christ. And there can be no higher aspiration for any servant of God than to be more like Jesus Christ. And if you do not yet know the mercies and the favours and the blessings that God holds out in Christ, then I want to assure you this morning not to take a line through a fallen and sinful mother and say, I'm afraid that God may be a bit like that. But to ask, what kind of love does God in Christ show to needy sinners like us? When Paul says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Who does that really sound like? Who's the man who lays down his life out of love for the good of others? It is the saviour that you need and it is the Christ that you may have and the one from whom we can learn that we might, like him, be both gentle and meek.